Welcome to Piecing It All Together. I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. Hey, thanks for joining us. Yeah, season two is underway. (laughs) So, Randy, we did 47 episodes in season one. Kind of a weird number, huh? It was a weird number. Well, we knew we wanted to get past 45 because you you don't like that number. <laughs> just just the last few years, I haven't liked that number. Yes, and but we came up shy of 50, which is fine. I was actually hoping for 52 so that it looked like we put out one a week. Oh, um, that's, that would be cool. Yeah, I wish we were that organized. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't work out that way. When we both travel enough that we don't have a consistent recording pattern. So, yeah. Um, uh, but, traveling and moving and, yeah, all kinds of things going on. But we think that we have figured out how to use this software uh, between us now with the, uh, the miles because we're not always going to be in the same room recording. And so think that we're going to be able to use this software to have a more uh, regular recording schedule, and then we'll be able to release them on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. So what are we going to do next time? We're going to need an excuse, and you just gave the excuses away. That, that is true. I am. Uh, I am. I am burning that bridge behind us. We're not. We're I guess not I got to do it then. Huh? <laughs> we're not going back that way. Right. So, hey, uh, Randy and I have been having fun this morning catching up, and we thought we would hit record and um, and uh, bring everybody up to speed uh, about what has been happening on our break. The big yeah. news is you moved. I moved. I'm in Maupin, Oregon. M a u p i n because no one seems to know how to spell it or even what I'm talking about when I say we live in Maupin. That is an interesting word. Have you discovered yet, like, where that word comes from? Yeah, it's from a dude. Oh, it's a guy's last name? Yeah. I actually didn't know know that. Early pioneer, yeah. Oh, and I saw you with a picture of a very large salmon. Oh, that was actually a steelhead. Okay. And uh, we, we went down to um, the uh, Salila Falls Village one day to try and find the cheap salmon. So I could, we we're going to, I was going to, you know, smoke a bunch of it. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I'll walk away here for three or four. And, you know, I had 50 bucks on me. And it was like, um, yeah, you don't have enough for any of our fish. <laughs> really? Yeah. Let me get my nephew out here and he's got some smaller fish. And so he had some smaller salmon and a pretty big uh, steelhead. So I took the steelhead. And I didn't end up smoking him because there's just not enough for my little meager 50 bucks. So uh, I just cut him up and I eat sam or eat steelhead every now and then. That is an interesting story. So that's like an entire sort of a sub economy. Yeah. Of, uh, of buying. So do those fish come out of like the Deschutes River? No, they're coming out of uh, the Columbia. The Columbia, the big yeah. river. Yeah. Uh, for listeners, in case I don't know where you are around the country listening, but in case you don't live in a place where there is a salmon run or a salmon population, there's a couple things about Randy's story I want to clarify. The first is steelhead is still a, a type of salmonid uh, as far as uh, – it's the fish variety goes. And if you're not uh, well acquainted with different salmon varieties, you may not be able to tell the difference. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> he just uh, said, 
you know, or I would even give you this stillhead if you want it. And I said, okay, I'll take the stillhead. <laughs> uh, the second thing is when Randy's talking about smoking salmon, it's a type of, of cooking where you put the salmon over smoke. He's it's not, not putting it in the pipe, right? That's the... <laughs> I just, I thought I should clarify that you're not, uh, <laughs> not that kind of smoking. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I used to live in Alaska for a couple of years in Kodiak and we would smoke salmon all the time. We had salmon uh, runs there all the time. I could yeah. just about catch them, you know, uh, most times of the year, not all times. Yeah. And I had no trouble uh, procuring salmon and doing yeah. whatever I wanted with it. And so um, what I learned, though, is that the best salmon to me and, and to most people who live in Alaska tend to agree is the kippered red salmon, kippered oh. sockeye. Interesting kippered, huh? Yeah, sockeye like is, a- I think, the best tasting, and and to have it kippered is sort of the best of both worlds. It's it's smoked a little bit and then yeah. pickled, or not and pickled, then pickled, canned, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. In the can, and then you can keep it forever. And man, it's good. So I, um, you know, I grew up in outside Chicago and then in Saskatchewan. So I was not, you know, I did bass fishing or you know even um, sunfish. But I was not in a salmon culture at all. And so I married a girl from Montana, and that was my introduction to Western fishing. And I love it so much. One of my favorite traditions is uh, in August, I get to go fishing with my father-in-law on this massive reservoir in northwest uh, Montana called the Kukanusa. It's a weird word. That's It's the Kootenai. Is yep. the river. Ka, K-A-N, is from Canada. And then USA is the USA. Kootenai because USA. the Kootenai bridges over the Canadian-American border. So it's called the Kukanusa. And it's this massive reservoir. And you so know Kukanusa is, uh, is a tribe too, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. But always feel free to point that out. Just <laughs> anything like that that comes up. By the way, whenever I'm driving around the Western states and I see a, a, a word that looks, makes my eyes sort of focus and say, what is that word? It is usually a transliteration. It's an Americanized or Englishized version of a tribal name. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and um, they almost always, if you ask the people of the town, yeah. What what it means? It usually means it was the name of a Indian maiden who jumped off a bridge when she was, you know, her forlorn lover. Uh, her parents wouldn't let them be together, and oh. and that's that's who it's named after. I've heard like three different places explain that, that way to right. me. I'm like, no, I think you meant Romeo and Juliet is what, what that story. But uh. oh, <laughs> huh? Uh, well, we'll have to talk more about that in an upcoming episode because uh, Indian stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, and I had not heard that um, sort of mythology, but... Um, I- so the Salish, Kootenai, and Ponderay are the three tribes that they call the Flathead, right? They're up on the Flathead Res, right? You know yeah. that, because that's where your your uh, wife's people are from. Yeah, yeah. I actually did a little research. I was going to be teaching a class back in Nyack, New York, mm-hmm. and uh, I wanted to do a little research about... Um, the, you know, the, the original people there. And I found this really interesting story around Hook Mountain. That I want to tell you sometime, but uh, the original name was meant a place of bounty. And actually the reason it became so popular is that the Dutch, uh, they call them explorers, but you and I would probably call them something else. Um, 
um, knew that this was a place where there were so many fish. It's a transition from the Atlantic Ocean up into the Hudson River. And that brackish water was a place of great harvest. And so they could bring them out and dry them on this natural feature that was just south of what is now called Hook Mountain. Uh, cool. just north of Nyack. So that's a really interesting story. And as I was doing the research on that, because I wanted to do my opening prayer, I wanted to give thanks for the original inhabitants. And uh, it was fascinating to just watch how the sort of the legend of the naming places and how it, how it changes over time. And mm-hmm. that just in the naming of places, there is a, a history to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most of the, the indigenous names have something to do with the landmark, of course. Mm-hmm. Just like most of the the common names, the personal names for people, has something to do usually with something they did or the way they looked mm-hmm. or, you know. I mean, my, had a, uh, uh, my wife has a sixth great-grandfather uh, whose uh, um, name was changed after he broke his leg and it made his leg crooked. They called him Crooked Leg after that, you know. Oh, my goodness. It's just, and then no judgment. It's just yeah. like, that's the feature that you notice about, right? Huh. Well, back to the Kukanusa. So my father-in-law likes fishing from a boat. I don't like fishing from a boat. I love standing in the water. So mm-hmm. I'm a fly fisherman. So, but uh, once, once uh, a summer, I'll go out with him on his boat. Randy, the limit, the keep limit for these little salmon, that are these little Kootenays salmon, are uh, 47 per day. What? <laughs> but, but they're really small. They're like 12 to 14 inches. Uh-huh. Yeah, but still, I mean, that's crazy. But we, him and I will often each catch in, say, 30 or 40 fish. Wow. And so we take them back, and we gut them, and we prepare them, and we fit as many of them in the smoker as we can. And then we, we uh, brine and pickle the rest and jar them for the winter, oh, put wow. them in in the mason jars. It's one of my favorite days. And once in a while I'll catch a lake trout, which is like five times bigger than yeah. these little landlocked salmon. And, uh, that's always becomes our dinner that evening. Yeah. Cool. I love Man, that tradition. You, you're, you're really, you know, making me want to go to Montana right now. <laughs> it is a beautiful, well, don't go now. It's pretty cold there. Yeah. So they, I yeah. see. <laughs> hey, so I wanted to, um, just follow up with you when about your travels. I know that people have been uh, wanting to know about the how the Hayward lectures went, and and uh, actually today we put out an episode of you preaching at a church uh, back in Eastern Canada. So I wanted to ask you, how was that big trip you took? Yeah, it was great, and you know we went up through your old uh, some of your old country there. We were. Mm. In the what they call the burned over district in New York, yeah, and yeah. on up and and saw the we were there just at the end of the uh, in New England where the colors change, mm. um, very end of that. So we caught that, and that was just beautiful. Every day it was just beautiful driving yeah. through there. We took the train to Chicago, and then we drove from Chicago up to uh, Halifax, and then oh. on up to uh, Wolfville, which is uh, where the um, uh, the Hayward lectures were taking place there at Acadia uh, yeah. Divinity College. It was cool. But okay. uh, preached at St. Andrew's Church, my friend, uh, Russ Day's church, and uh, had a great time there. They're doing a lot of really good stuff in Halifax. Huh. Um, the lectures went well. I mean, uh, you know, yeah, I'm an academic. Yeah, you know, 
I've got a PhD, which, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, uh, um, and so it was a little bit maybe, uh, intellectual, uh, more than the way I, I don't like to, to do that so much. I mean, I can do it. I can speak that academia, but, um, I'd rather just like talk plain to people. Mm. So I had to, you know, not quite be myself in that way in some ways, but, you know, I give them the best uh, integrated mix I could um, for what they were looking for. Some mm. probably liked it. Others didn't, I'm sure. But, um, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm just a plain person. Uh, I don't know about that. I think you're being overly modest. You, you actually have a really, uh, distinct presentation style. And I don't, I don't think many people have heard, like, for instance, if, if people listened to the, the episode of you preaching at the, at St. Andrews there, I mean, that was quite a mix of, um, some native storytelling. Like, most people haven't heard stories about, like, say, polar bears, especially learning to shoot, or warrior tortoises and inchworms. I mean, there was some interesting storytelling in there, but it was mixed in with a pretty sharp um, critique of colonialism that uh, didn't mix words. Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm just me. Okay. I, I think of myself as just kind of a plain person. You know, I'm born in Alabama, you know, I come definitely from, uh, hillbilly stock, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, first generation college and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. um, but yeah, maybe I'm, I, I just can't get that stink of academia off me. So no matter what I do, so <laughs> <laughs> the lectures were, um, were they well received? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, uh, one of my old professors was there, but we didn't. He didn't get to to hear me because um, uh, he was a professor from Philadelphia Eastern when I was there, uh, Eastern Seminary. Uh, William Brackney. He's quite an accomplished scholar and uh, historian and all that sort of stuff. But uh, so he didn't get to hear me. But we went out the night before, and then he let me know later that it was pretty well received. Um, there was a few people who, you know, were up in arms about a few things I said, of course, and. But I think overall it was good, and um, they needed to hear the things that, you know, that I had yeah. to say. I, I tried to listen to uh, so my my spirit and the spirit, and yeah. and give people what I think think you know will be helpful to them, yeah. uh, rather than just sort of have a canned thing that I do, you know. So yeah. Well, I'm glad that went well, and it sounded like quite an adventure. Um, it was. It was great. My wife, Edith, was with me, and we just we had a great time. The people up there were really friendly. Good. Um, Danny Zacharias, uh, one of the uh, – their only um, indigenous faculty member was uh, was our host up there, and, yeah. and uh, we were welcomed by the uh, Mi'kmaq people. Um, some of the elders came out and welcomed us, and, and we had a really good interchange and time with them. Um, and so, you know, being welcome on the land is a big thing for us, uh, when we're, yeah. so, huh. What? That's great. And I, um, I just got an email that they have, um, they've produced the videos of the lectures that you gave. So I'm looking forward to watching those and seeing, uh, what we can draw out of that. Maybe there's something in there that I can share when, uh, 
when those yeah. become public. When those yeah, become public. I think, you know, people who are interested, yeah, that'd be yeah, wonderful. It'd be great. Um, you, you also told me that you have been invited to speak at a, a pretty noteworthy conference uh, coming up in Kansas City this year. Yeah, the uh, Wesleyan Theological Society invited me to speak, to be their plenary speaker. And um, so, you know, I, I don't know what's gotten into them to ask me to be there. But <laughs> I, I've never touted myself as a strict Wesleyan, but uh, yeah, yeah. but I see a lot of things in common. Um, uh, yeah, also going to be doing a, a conference at Whitworth. Their, their conference in June, I think they're having a big conference and. Uh, look, they're asking me to talk about the the climate crisis and things, and um, to pastors, which will be good. That's their ministers' conference. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'm you know I'm, I get these invitations to speak. I I like speaking in my region, and but I'm getting to the point where I'm only going to make one or two trips out of our region mm. um, a year. Um, and uh, my wife and I are just tired of traveling. I'm tired of traveling. Yeah. Um, and so it needs to be worth our while. Usually if we're, we're going to do that. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, but I want to be in our region where we can maintain relationship with people, you know, yeah. continue to, to actually make a difference in people's lives. Not just a one time, you mm. know, yeah. uh, what do you call that? Transactional kind of a thing. You know, makes I just don't, I just don't feel good about those anymore. It's, and I know yeah. some people get inspired and all that kind of stuff, but but um, I really want to build the relationships with the people who ask yeah. us to come and speak. So. Well, it makes sense. And I mean, it also, you know, there are different seasons of life. And, you know, when, um, when you first sort of came into publication and, and, and started, people started hearing your voice, I can understand why you would get such a wide variety of invitations to travel and speak because people said, well, this is a really unique uh, perspective or this guy has a, a interesting contribution. And so um, that might, there might be something really attractive about that at first, mm-hmm. but you know, as your family grows and changes and as uh, you know, your career, you're in, in a season of writing and stuff. I totally could see for you to make that change and say, no, I want to, I want to stick mostly in my region. I want to invest around here and the connections. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's a, a group of us who kind of came up together, right? Um, Richard yeah. twist being probably the most well-known um, who's now we're coming up and we'll, I think we need to get back and talk about this. We're coming up to the seventh anniversary on February 9th of his passing. And I think we want to find some ways to honor him, but um, so Richard, uh, uh, Ray Aldred, uh, who is now the head of the, um, Aboriginal program at Vancouver school of theology, Adrian Jacobs, who's at the, um, uh, Oh, I forget the name of the place, but he's doing something similar. He's the kind of culture keeper up at the Stony. Mm. Uh, I forgot the name of the place he's at, um, Terry LeBlanc, who's still doing Nate's and North American Institute of indigenous theological studies. Um, and, um, yeah. So it would be interesting to, to see where Richard would be at these days. I, mm. I, I know that in his final year, he was starting to try and stay home more and mm. be involved locally more and travel less. And, and that's where we also find ourselves doing. It's just, um, uh, and of course that's the whole vision of our 
you know, indigenous um, teaching learning center and all that sort of thing. But yeah, um, you know, we, we sort of had our window and, and now we're looking to pass this on to younger folks and especially uh, native younger folks, you know, say in their thirties, forties, um, uh, so that we can continue to, to have our voice heard in these ways um, with this particular, um, hopefully, indigenized uh, message. And, um, but, but it's, just, it's just real difficult. You know, leadership in the indigenous people and in an indigenous church um, was, was not only discouraged, it was actually, you know, forbidden. Yeah. And so we're still suffering from a lack of leadership. And, yeah. and, and I don't, by the way, I'm not at all just talking about men. I'm also talking about leadership in women as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, yeah, I don't know. You got me reminiscing. Sorry about that. No, no. It's good to hear your reflections. And because I don't think of myself as just like me out there. I think yeah. of myself as part of a group still. Yeah. You know, even though we, we hardly see each other anymore, I still feel like in a sense I'm, I'm part of this group of people who kind of came up together. So. Yeah. And and actually, we're going to have some uh, opportunities coming up ahead of that February 9th anniversary where we want to honor Richard. And we'll, we have a special thing that we're going to do uh, that first week of February. And we'll say more about that as the time gets closer. Yeah. Um, we did want to invite people to a couple things. So you mentioned the places that you'll be speaking at. So if uh, if you're in the Kansas region and want to go uh, hear Randy at that theological society, you can look that up. March 5th and 6th. Yeah, March 5th and 6th. And then Whitworth is in Spokane, Washington. Mm -hmm. That'll be in June sometime. And you and I are going to be at the Inhabit Conference in April. I don't know. I haven't been invited yet. Oh, well, I'm planning on, <laughs> I'm planning on going. Usually and, those guys invite me. I, I like, yeah. uh, I like my wife likes going up there. We just like yeah. the people up there, uh, you know, Dwight and Paul and Tim and all the, yeah. uh, um, uh, Elizabeth and all the yeah. rest of them that, yeah. that are there. Yeah. They are a good crew. And, uh, I actually just got to participate in a three month learning lab with them um, my denomination, the United Methodist, hosted uh, at the invitation of Leroy Barber, who's doing this innovation workshop. You know, I forget what it's called, innovation something. And um, they hosted uh, Paul Sorens and, and uh, Tim Sorens and Paul Sparks uh, and Elizabeth and their crew. They came down and uh, they hosted a conversation. Um, largely with some Methodist ministers, but also just some community leaders, including our friend, um, Ken Lloyd. Oh, cool. Was there. And uh, we'll have to have him on the podcast sometime. He would be an interesting person to talk to. Yeah, he's on our board. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, it was about um, what it would look like to really dwell in the neighborhoods of Portland in a different way and to open up sort of the way that we dream of what ministry means to be really located in our neighborhoods. And mm. so it's a, it's an experiment that we're just getting off the ground and I'm excited about it. Um, I just recently this summer moved into the neighborhood where my community is. And so I've really been enjoying getting to know my neighborhood in a different way and really trying to invest and listen to the needs of our community 
instead of trying to sell people on some service that we provide. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so it's the parish collective PDX is sort of that bigger conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's a uh, great model. I love I, I I think, you know, that that's a that's a model that's really needed in a lot of places, is the parish model, the yeah. parish collective model that, that these guys have yeah. Uh, yeah. helped to uh reestablish. You know, what's interesting is um in the courses that I've taught, both at the seminary back east and in the one in Portland, I've used their book, The New Parish. So I've, it's bizarre that I've actually taught the concept before I've had the opportunity to practice the the conviction. And I am just really, um, I just feel so both honored and sort of energized to give this a try and to just um, put into practice this this theory that I know. And uh, I'm really actually quite a big fan of it, but mm-hmm. I haven't had a chance yet to do it on the ground. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, you know, and it's a, it's about the bigger concept of community, yeah. right? I mean, our community, I, I was just telling some of my students I had yesterday on Zoom and, uh, you know, and I was saying, you know, how can you not just change your bubble, which is your church community, right? Yeah. Um, or your whatever you're involved in it wherever your place of work or whatever, but, but you, you got to get past the bubble. I always say that creators at work probably much more outside the bubble than, than in the bubble. And so um, we have to begin to see ourselves as part of the larger community and just a, a, a part and parcel of that, a functional part of that, just like everything else is a, the school, yeah. uh, you know, the uh, city hall, et cetera, all parts of that community. Yeah. You know, I had an interesting experience with this. Um, we They gave us different assignments because this was a learning lab. And so we did different experiments. And I had one that was very humbling for me. They had told a story. Somebody had told a story about uh, knowing the people who work at your local coffee shop well enough that you could tell if they were having a bad day. Like if your barista was having a bad day, that you would pick up on that because pastorally, <laughs> right? You're not just ministering to the people. This is a perfect example for Portland, Seattle. Maybe the only this place is... it would work. I don't know. <laughs> so I did an experiment. There was something about that story that intrigued me. So I went to my coffee shop, Maplewood that I love this coffee shop. It's just across the street from me. And uh, I sat there all morning and I had a couple revelations that were both, they were actually a little humbling. Uh, the first is that I didn't know the anybody who worked at the coffee shop. I hadn't learned their name yet. Mm-hmm. And so that was like level one of me not connecting with my community. But then I had a, a, a weirder sort of revelation, which is that my baristas, the, the people who worked at the coffee shop, they knew all of the customers' names. Whoa. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So they're actually, in that sense, more connected to the community than I am. So, mm-hmm. All right. But the other thing that happened is the baristas noticed when the people who came in, if they were in a bad mood mm-hmm. and they sort of took care of them. And I thought, you know, these baristas are actually, I'm being honest, better ministers to the community than I am sitting over at my church building, right, doing administration 
and trying to come up with the perfect newsletter or something. Uh, it was actually a really good thing for me to sit there all morning and just in both enjoy, but also learn from the, this, this emotional economy that's happening all the time on uh, my neighborhood streets. Yeah. That's great. Great story. Yeah. Yeah, They're like social scientists, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we wanted to invite people to do something with us. Uh, this year. And um, so I wanted to say that we're, we tried an experiment with a reading group last season that um, between the technology not working out and the schedule not working out was we learned a lot by doing it. We tried to have a reading group uh, for your book, Shalom in the Community of Creation, mm-hmm. but we never got to have the final evening where people who have read the book got to talk with you, the author. And so on January 14th, that is a Tuesday night at 5.30 Pacific, 8.30 Eastern, we're going to do the final reading group for Shalom in the Community of Creation. The reason I'm bringing this up is that uh, people have holidays coming up. And so if you have not um, got the book yet, put it on your Christmas list, or if you get you know, a gift certificate to your uh, local bookstore. You can go pick this up, have them order it. But uh, there's a group of people who have the book and um, are going to have some extra time over the holidays where they could finish reading Shalom in the Community of Creation, knowing that they're going to get to talk with you on January 14th as we wrap up um, the Shalom reading group. I'm very excited about this. Oh, it sounds good. You know, I've, I, I get notes from people all the time, you know, telling me that they really like the book and et cetera. But, um, uh, but I very seldom ever get to have those conversations, you know. So um, this would be great. Uh, I think, you know, there's some chapters in there that are particular, uh, particularly interesting and germane to what's going on in the country right now. I think that the, the one chapter on uh, Descartes, René Descartes, mm. uh is um, I, I think I'd like to talk about that if uh, people want to, because oh. I, I see that, you know, that really is, he's just one of the, of the guys I pulled out that really created the dualism that we now see in our country and our religion and our mm. politics and our education and everything else. Um, and, and his was in particular with the body, right? Mm. Um, I think therefore I am the idea. And I know we've, we've, talked about that a little bit and what was he really saying? But, you know, I mean, each of these guys, you know, Rousseau and uh, Grotius and, um, uh, you know, Adam Smith and, you know, all these philosophers and idealists of the 17th, 18th century had such an effect on the founders of this country, an indelible effect that everything they did, that DNA and those same ideas kept coming out over and over again. And you get the dualism and the individualism and the, uh, the property ownership idea and so much of mm-hmm. what really is destroying the country that we live in right now comes mm-hmm. from, from the, those philosophers. So yeah. yeah anyway, yeah. just, I, I began to think about this when I'm watching these, the, the, uh, the, the, yeah. the, con- the, the, what's going on right now with the yeah. impeachment and everything. And, and I, and I realized that a lot of the fight actually goes back to these same ideas. That is going to be an awesome conversation because 
you know, once the yeast is in the dough, you can't Baked pull it in the bread. Yeah, you can't pull it back out. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's right. in there. So uh, that's going to be good for us to talk about because um, I'm always trying to convince people that these things that we're looking at are not bugs of the system that are exceptions to the rule. These are features of the system that prove the rule. They're the exceptions that prove the rule. Yeah, absolutely. The There is, um, you know, I kind of like the example of, you know, if you have two parents, um, the both their DNA comes out and there's no way that the DNA will change once it's in there, right? Mm. So, so you have to introduce, metaphorically, uh, introduce a new DNA in order to change things. And so mm. um, that's hopefully what we're about is trying to offer a new yeah. DNA. And, and we do that through this whole idea of our Native Harmony way or the, you know, the ancient Jewish construct of Shalom. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. I'm excited about that. So that's January 14th. And we'll be sending out lots of reminders to people. We're going to create a Facebook event and uh, and send out reminders to our Patreon supporters who we want to thank for sustaining us through this uh, break and transition. Thank you for your support. And uh, if you listen to this podcast and, uh, and, and if it edifies you and encourages you, challenges you, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. Um, that... Uh, donation, that monthly donation helps Randy and I not only pay for all of the fees and services for our technology and storage and website and all that stuff, but uh, helps us in our other endeavors that we're up to. So we want to say thank you to our Patreon supporters. Yeah, and especially for sustaining us to the break, even though you weren't hearing anything new, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I we almost didn't. want to say, like, what, what's wrong with you people? But, uh, <laughs> you can, but, but, but whatever lose. it is, please keep doing it. We yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. We did lose a couple of, of uh, Patreon supporters during the break. Did we? So okay. if, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about becoming a Patreon supporter, we could really use that to replace uh, the folks that had to step away during that time. So, And those of you who stepped away, we want you. It's like the Michael Jackson old, uh, you know, Jackson 5 song. Yeah. We want you back. Yeah. Uh, another thing we wanted to invite people to is um, in February, starting the 11th. So the second Tuesday of every month is going to be our book club. And in February, March, and April, we're going to be reading uh, Richard Twist's last book, Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys. Uh, there's six primary chapters, so we'll do two per book club. And um, people can join us for that. But if you're looking for something to put on a, a wish list or uh, a, a new challenging book for 2020, this is a great read. And so we're hoping that you will pick this up and join us uh, in the seventh anniversary of Richard's passing. We wanted to do something that honored him and continued the conversation uh, that he was such an instigator and he was such a catalyst for people to discover um, new, this new, some new ideas and an ancient perspective. And he was just a great spokesman. Yeah, yeah, one of the best. And um, we are going to do a, a program, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. featuring Richard and maybe some yeah. of Richard's friends. And uh, we can talk about uh, uh, some of the great things that uh, 
that, that he has done and uh, what his life meant here. Yeah. So if you are uh, looking for some um, resources for the coming year to make sure to pick up Shalom Community of Creation for our final conversation in January about that. And then as we begin February, March, and April to talk about rescuing the gospel from the Cowboys. Uh, Randy, before we close this episode, I wanted to do one more uh, thing with housekeeping from our last season. So we ended season one, episode 47, with a live chat with some of our friends on a, on a Sunday afternoon. And uh, there was a moment during that conversation that I feel like I need to tell you what was happening on my side of the screen. You couldn't see it. But something kind of extraordinary happened. So uh, at one point, you were talking about the book of Job. And in chapter 12, Job says, um, you know, let the animals teach you. Listen mm-hmm. to the animals. Speak to the earth and it will tell you. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was one of the most interesting things you've ever said. I, I actually don't know if I've ever heard you say it. I may have before, but it didn't, it, something didn't connect. Maybe because it's such a foreign concept to my Western mind. But it, something about it piqued my interest. And at the exact moment you were saying that, I was sitting at a desk that looked out a window. And there was a big spider web outside with a big spider sitting right in the middle of the spider web. Hmm. And at the moment that you were talking about this, a hummingbird came in and plucked the spider right off the middle of its web. Really? I'd never seen that before. I didn't even know hummingbirds did anything except for nectar. I don't know that they do. I thought they existed purely on sugar water. Yeah. I had no idea that I'd never seen anything like it. So that hummingbird comes in, plucks those spider out, and I thought to myself, well, what the hell am I supposed to learn from that? (laughs) So it agitated me, but I held it, right? Because you had said, listen to the animals. Let the animals teach you. So I held this thing. So in the month that followed, like sometimes when I arrive at work, there's a congress of crows out behind, in the woods out behind my work, and I'll watch the crows and I'll say, you know, I'm I'm trying to pay attention more or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. watching the squirrels put away nuts for the winter. I've really taken this to heart and and been trying to think to myself, um, what am I to learn? How, How can I learn? And uh, I was getting actually a little frustrated because nothing was coming to me. And I was, th- I was actually thinking to myself, and this is way harder uh, than it sounds because I, like I saw that thing happen, that event happen, the, that incident with the hummingbird. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to take from that. And then something amazing happened. So I'm part of a Bible study on Wednesday nights. We're reading through the book of Job. We get to chapter 12, this part that you're talking about. And then in the subsequent chapter, when Job is talking, he basically makes the case against his very spiritual friends. He says, you guys are full of it. It doesn't work like this. Because bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. You think that there's this one-for-one economy 
And that if somebody's doing well, it's because they're a good person. And if somebody's not doing well, it's because they're a bad person or they've done something wrong. And he says, look, the truth is we're all in the same boat, the moral and the immoral, the virtuous and the unvirtuous. We're all in big trouble. Mm -hmm. And I thought, we're all the spider on the web. That's right. Well, and we're all connected. Yeah. Wherever we are on the web, we're all connected to one another. And it was like I learned from the animals. Mm. Yeah. Randy, it was an incredible – I have goosebumps right now. Yeah. Well, see, so so that's, uh, if you will, uh, that's the first book of creator, right? Yeah. Is is creation. And and I always say that it's it's the first – and uh, it's the foremost, and it's the most consistent revelation that we will ever get. Mm-hmm. And if you think about Job being the oldest book mm-hmm. uh, in the Christian Bible, the uh, you know, um, and uh, you know, what are they trying to sort through there? They they have this I quote unquote book of creation. They have creation as their teacher, and this is this is reflected in there. But we. This is the thing that we all have in common. This is the thing that we, we all have. Creator teaches us through creation. We don't all have the Bible or the Quran or, you know, the uh, uh, whatever other holy books there are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those came later. Those are reflective of the lessons learned oftentimes. And as you pointed out to me, Jesus talked mostly about creation and the things of nature not about the inventions that were going on and all yeah. that kind of thing. So, yeah, so um, we just have to spend the time out going back to our uh, the, the original intentions of Creator, and, and which is not to shut ourselves out, but to allow creation to come in yep. to teach us. Yeah. Man, it is, it is so difficult when you haven't been taught to learn or listen, or let's say read the lesson, the signs that are in front of you. Sometimes you don't even know what you're looking at and you would never think to yourself, this is a learning opportunity, right? You chalk it up to something else like coincidence or oddity or something. And uh, yeah, but I I remember it was almost 10 years ago that uh, we first had that conversation where I said, you know, I just, I just realized when Jesus is talking about how the world works, he never says it's like a catapult or a battering ram or a chariot. <laughs> a chariot yeah, or a he spear. Never, right. Or, yeah. He says like a little bird. There's like a plant. And uh, it's amazing, you know, when you realize that there's so many learning opportunities and lessons um, that creation is always speaking but if we're not tuned in, you know, to that frequency, to use a technology language, if we're not tuned into it or attuned to it, we miss all of it. The whole broadcast goes right past us. Right. Or in harmony with it. Yeah. I love Which that. Which is, um, yeah, and, and we have to be in, if we're going to repair uh, the earth and yeah. bring things back into harmony, we have to yeah. be listening to what the earth is teaching us about. You can't just... You know, it, it's just like um, the old missionary endeavor. Like, I have something, I'm going to fix you, you know? Yeah. Well, no, you have to understand what's going on there first. And if we're not attuned to the earth, 
Yeah. Then how do we know how to fix it? Yeah. Well, I just wanted to thank you for that, um, that reminder that there is learning to be had everywhere, not just in a classroom, not just in a book, because that really, there was something about that that caught my attention and sort of, you know, agitated me in the moment because it was so foreign to the way that I was thinking. Yeah, and then it's a sign. And yes, we've had so many signs in our lives. So, so many, I mean, maybe we could do a program sometime just on a, a lot of the lessons and the signs that yeah. have occurred because um, uh, creator is not shy about sending signs when you actually are in the right frame of mind to, to understand. Wow. Um, so, Wow. That is a great note to end on. All right. Constant. Well, just uh, for recap, we want to invite everybody to a book club on January 14th, February 11th, March 10th, and April 14th. So the second Tuesday of every month, it's going to be from 530 Pacific, 830 Eastern. And uh, we're going to wrap up with the Shalom in the Community of Creation. And then we're going to move on to rescuing the gospel from the Cowboys. And we hope that everyone will join in for those online conversations. Thanks again to our Patreon supporters for supporting us. It means a lot to us. Yeah, thanks so much. We appreciate it. And, uh, you know, peace out. (laughs) Great.